yeah, we, we just got to play a little more predictable hockey for me. You know, everybody's got to know where the puck is going. Even guys that are average skaters look faster when, when you when you you play a little more predictable. That doesn't mean creati- not having creativity. It's more of just knowing where the puck's going, who's your man off a rush, who's playing nut front, uh, how do you box out, things like that. And that's why, you know, I got to, and plus I got the twins help me. I got, I got a great, like I'm not the smartest guy in there, put it that way. There's a lot of smart guys in there. You know, it almost sounds like there's going to be a focus on paying attention to the details. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. Pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle. You get paid. Some call him the king of orthotics. Some other call him the prince of footwear. He's here to tell you about Kintec. It's Jason Bruff. Well, we are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics. Did you know they're Canada's favorite orthotics provider? I did. did. And did you know that they're supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews? I Find did. your perfect fit at Kintech.net. All right. Um, let's get into more of everything that happened yesterday. The first practice for new Vancouver Canucks coach uh, Rick Tockett which also included new assistant coaches, Sergey Gonchar, who is there live, not via Zoom, and Adam Foote. Uh, let us not forget that also on the ice yesterday were the old assistant coaches, Jason King and Mike Yo. Goalie coach Ian Clark was out there. Both Sedins were out there. And skills coach Yogi Svechkovsky. Did I get that one right? They have more coaches than players out there? I think they had a one-to-one ratio. Everyone gets a coach. Svetkovsky, yes. Yeah. Now, this is... The ice maker is like, there's too many people on the ice. Please get off. Please, everyone leave. But it's interesting because later, and we played some remarks from Rick Tocca coming back from break about all the things that he has to address with his team. Mm-hmm. And he did allude to yesterday about the need to kick it into hyperdrive or overdrive. Like, we want to learn, but we want to learn fast. And we yeah. want to implement some things, but we want to do it quickly. So everyone gets a coach. He also said, but we can't overload the players' heads. Like, we can't have their heads spinning when they leave practice. I mean, they, they know the challenge that they, they've got. I thought that was really interesting audio that Laddie played coming into the show when we were talking about, and he was talking about, I want them to play predictable hockey. And your initial reaction to, to that was be like, what? You want them to play predictable hockey? And here's what he means by that. And this has been a complaint from Rutherford and Alvin about the Canucks hockey under Bruce Boudreaux. It was too freewheeling. There was too much, um, well, we'll see what I'll do here, right? It was like, and how many times have we said, like, they play like a beer league team, right? Like, there's no, there's no, there's no, um, okay, here's where you go in this situation, right? River, and that's, river hockey. What, and that's, and that's what um, he's talking about. I remember one of the early complaints that I heard behind the scenes, um, and I think it's fair enough to bring it up now, um, from Rutherford was like, our defensemen get the puck and they have no idea what to do with it. Yeah. Like, and that's not, and, and he's not blaming them, the defensemen. He's saying like, they don't, there's no plan. Right. Right. And so you get a lot of like independent thought out there. Okay. I'm going to try this. But then your teammates aren't on the same page. They're like, oh, I thought you were going to do something else. And then the red right? independent thought light alert goes off. <laughs> one thing, I, like, hear from, bad. One thing danger, I hear from danger. goalies all the time that go from the AHL to the NHL is 
yeah, the speed's better, the, the shots are harder, but it's actually almost a little bit easier because it's more predictable right. yeah. for the goaltender. Defensively, mm-hmm. the game in the NHL is more structured. Yeah, it's there's more no wa- predictable. There's, there's no wacky crap happening. You can kind of just follow your game plan a little bit more as a goalie and, and know that the game in front of you is going to play out the way it does. Unpredictability is horrible for goalies. Yeah, well, it's That's fun, what it's, he's talking it's, about. It's funny in this context because the, like, there was a certain stretch there where the Canucks' turnovers and mistakes were so egregious. Mm-hmm. And then we'd be like, it feels like everyone is in the back of the net. And it's like, well, it's because it's such an anomaly given how the modern current NHL game goes that the goalie's not ready for it. I The one that I always remember, and unfortunately, I don't mean to pick on Ethan Bear, but I think Ethan Bear tried to make a play against St. Louis and just ripped it right onto the stick of Tarasenko or I can't remember who. But um, it was like no one was prepared to defend it because the mistake was so bad. And, and you know what he said? It's funny when we talk about the independent thought alert. He's like, I was just trying to make a play. Yeah. I know what the right play should have been, and it was rimming. <laughs> but, and then it gets into, we've been losing all these games. We're trying to get something going. I'm trying to go outside my comfort zone. And it is a really interesting thing because, you know, some people think predictability is bad or is, is death. Like mm-hmm. routine. Like, for example, we made fun of me this morning. Like, Halford loves routine, right? I, I come in yeah. and I say the same thing every morning. The reason I do that is because I know it's going to work. <laughs> There's like only a You don't t- even have to think about it. But that's kind of like, that's the point. Yeah. That's the point where you don't, where it's just, it becomes instinct, mm-hmm. right? Your routine actually, which is kind of a paradox, like your routine does become instinct. And I think um, you don't even have to be a like brilliant hockey mind to have watched the Canucks this year and, and, and just be like, there's a, just a bunch of individuals out there playing and hope it comes together. Yeah. Now the real good coaches can get their team to play with the structure and the predictability, but also not have it stifle other parts of their game, specifically the offense. That's the great challenge, right? Is you don't want to rob Peter to pay Paul on any sports team across any organization and anything. you want to be able to for lack of a better term have it all so but, here's a text yeah. do you know what's worse in vancouver than losing every game 5-3 under boudreaux losing every game 2 nothing. lose with excitement versus losing and boring the fans to that death that's the challenge right don't do that that's the challenge right it's not an easy gig that rick talk had just inherited but i don't think like i think you'd have to be out of your mind to think the Canucks don't need to improve defensively and don't need to take some fairly drastic measures to turn around some of their defensive play. Especially Could there since- be a cost? Yeah, but you know what? It's worth trying because what they were trying before wasn't working and it was never going to work. Well, and especially since there's a very strong likelihood that the makeup of this team might not change as dramatically as needed to improve defensively. Like, one of the Mm -hmm. things Rutherford might have learned in this year and a half on the job where he said, this is a bigger challenge than I thought it was going to be, and this may need major surgery, minor surgery. Major surgery isn't easy to come by. He hasn't done it over the first year and a half. Yeah. Major surgery could be, uh, I need to remove the head coach and bring in one that is going to make us better defensively because I can't get better defenders. Mm -hmm. That may be the reality for the next year. Like, again, Rick Tockett, has been tasked with making, among other guys, Oliver ekman Larson, Tyler Myers, Quinn Hughes, go down the list of defensemen. They have to make them better. They have to improve internally right now because I don't know if you can get rid of those guys. So Connor Garland and Oliver ekman Larson are on the Canucks, and they're the only guys with real experience working under 
Rick Tockett. Uh, Luke Shen, too. He played with him in Arizona. There's three guys on ah, this okay. roster. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Okay. But th- those two talked yesterday. Um, Connor Garland. Let's start with Connor Garland. Because, um, like, I- I- I've said this a few times. I think I wouldn't buy Connor Garland out. I realize that there's some people that, that would just to get the cap space, and I know he's one of these guys out there that is one of the buyout candidates, along with Oliver ekman Larson. funny enough. Um, but I think there's more that Connor Garland can give. And I wonder if he can find the game he had under Rick Tockett somehow. Maybe this gives him a little bump. Because I think it would be crazy unfortunate if the Canucks go into the offseason and feel like they have to buy Connor Garland out. Yep. And I realize there are sunk costs. Like there are some times where you just can't, like no matter how much you argue about, like you can't change what the market is. The market is what the market is for players like Connor Garland. And I guess in that same respect, uh, Brock Besser, two veteran wingers who have done good things in the past in the NHL, but haven't done enough good things this season and are locked up under contracts. I really hope that Rick Tockett can get both those guys going so they're easier to move in the offseason. Outside of JT Miller, Garland might end up being the most intriguing guy to watch to see what happens under Tockett because there's no mistake that he played the best hockey of his career in a Tockett system in Arizona, uh, and now you're looking at a guy that's got eight goals in 45 games. They need, like, plain and simple, they need more mm-hmm. out of Garland for a variety of reasons, including the one that you suggest. If you're going to move him, he's got to perform more. So he spoke yesterday. Uh, he talked about how excited he is to play for Tockett again and also said how there's no room for or there's no room for passengers on this team. Connor Garland from yesterday on his former and now current head coach, Rick Tockett. Well, yeah, play hard. Um, you know, you, there's there's no room for uh, you know passengers. You know, and uh, not non compete. So that's that's the one thing I just you know remember being stressed all the time is you know just how how competitive we had to play. And you know we weren't the most talented bunch, um, but we we worked hard and we, we made teams earn their win when uh, we were in Arizona and we missed the playoffs by two points, made it once, and then missed it by four in a you know stacked division that year. So we were we just uh, we worked, and uh, I, I'm sure it'll be the same here. So there's obviously another key component in all of this from Tockett's days in Arizona, Oliver ekman Larson. Now, the situation between ekman Larson and Garland couldn't be any different. Garland really thrived under Tockett. Garland seems to love Tockett's style of coaching, and he's excited to get him back. Oliver ekman Larson said all the right things yesterday when addressing his, uh, what was reported to be an acrimonious relationship with Rick Tockett dating back from their time in Arizona. Uh, OEL made it pretty clear that it was uh, overblown by the media, maybe the the rift that he had with Tockett, and then spoke glowingly about his former head coach again, who is now his current head coach. Let's hear more now. This is Oliver ekman Larson from yesterday on Rick Tockett. I do think that that the players has to to step up and and do whatever we can. I think we've been kind of not been good enough to, to be honest with you and, and kind of left the coaches out to, to dry and, and we need to, to look ourselves in the mirror at the same time and and I feel like um, talk is going to come in with a, a lot of energy and, and um, yeah I think it's it's going to be good for this group but, uh, he's going to have a lot of rules and, and uh, be, be, be hard on us. So I wonder um, if Oliver ekman Larson's play could 
improve a little bit under Rick Tockett. There's a chance I'm just being hopelessly hopeful. Feels like it. <laughs> uh, but hear me out on this. Okay. I think where Oliver Ekman Larson has really struggled is when the game has gotten a little frantic. Because I think he struggles with his mobility, right? So mm-hmm. when there's a quick change of possession or a turnover or a pinch doesn't go the right way, he's often left in no man's land. Right. And then he's kind of like, uh, I don't have the ability to get back into this. I am not Quinn Hughes. If the Canucks play a safer, more conservative, more predictable approach, is it possible that Oliver ekman Larson can benefit from that. Possibly, but what did you think about him being on a pairing with Luke Shen at practice yesterday? I think the pairings are in flux right now because Ethan Bear wasn't there. Yeah, that's fair. I, I don't th- I'm not reading too much into the pairings from yesterday's practice. I would say that the likelihood, quite obviously, if you were to compare Garland and OEL just for the exercise of they both played under Tocket and they both yeah. got a chance, the likelihood of Garland returning to form is significantly higher than OEL reaching back into the way back camp. It won. Yeah, because I think Ekman Larson has physical yes. issues right now. And he's now. older. Yeah. He's, he's, so. a, he's an old player by the standards of this team, by the standards of the league, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You're at now, I will say the reason I brought up Shen as his defensive partner, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but Luke Shen is an example of a guy that found a way to alter his game and be a contributing member of an NHL team. It's not an easy thing to do, right? Part of the reason Luke Shen was able to do it is he has a lot of characteristics and a lot of different things that he's probably willing to do personality-wise and attitude-wise that I'm not sure a lot of guys are. We got a text in. Isn't OEL's biggest skill his skating? Not anymore. No, no I don't no. know what his biggest skill is. Back no, in like 2015 it was. It used to be. Yeah. He's had all sorts of injury issues. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like he, he, he doesn't turn both ways the, <laughs> the way he should. And we make the, the Zoolander joke, which is a little bit – mean like Zoolander could only turn one way but you can see it like Oliver Ekman Larson there are times when his back will be facing the puck and a lot of that is be I I think Mm -hmm. is because he has trouble pivoting certain ways right right I get I mean there is a way that you could shelter the living daylights out of him but the style I think will fit him more I just don't know if the style will fit him first of all we don't know if the Canucks can play the style um, as true. well as Rick Tockett wants them to do, but also isn't going to move the needle enough. I don't know. I don't know. This is this is why. See, you're you're like you're actually. You know what's interesting? You're thinking about hockey again. Yeah. Right. I'm. <laughs> I, I. I'm. You're not really. I mean, you're kind of faking it. Um, but no, I'm, I'm but thinking. but like I'm looking forward to these games, and you can you can be upset that the Canucks aren't tanking for Bedard, but they're doing what they're doing, so we might as well pay attention. While while they're doing it, right? Well, and, like, and someone has texted in for like, uh, this is not the same person, but like we we get this text like six hundred times, like why are they bringing in a new coach and trying to improve things? Shouldn't they be tanking for Bedard? That is one idea, and a lot of people have said that the Canucks don't feel that way. The question: How important is next season? Seems to be pretty important. They're trying to get a head start. On next season, they're trying to see if they can improve under Rick Tockett. They're trying to learn. Th- they're trying to give themselves time to learn things so they don't go into training camp and go, uh, guys, we've got a lot of changes to make, and we got like three preseason games that you guys well, are going to be playing to figure this out. It matters. Jim Rutherford has said he wants to turn this team around in a year or two. Yeah, but I also disagree that this hire 
was designed to get a new coach bump or to start winning games or turn the it's season It's not around. for a new coach bump. It's for a next season bump. Yeah, but this everyone's like, this season, like, watch, the Canucks are going to go to a heater now. I'm like, did you listen to the introductory presser? Oh, yeah. The new coach bump that people are anticipating, I think you got to be – like, you can't just assume that's going to happen. First of all, their schedule isn't as easy as everyone making is making it out to be. It's like, softer, kn- but not that much softer. I know they got Chicago tonight – but then they go to Seattle, where it's not going to be easy, and then they've got to play the third game in four nights against Columbus on Friday. Then they go off on the All-Star break, and then they have a trip back east that isn't going to be easy. Look, one of the things that really got overlooked, because there's so much to unpack on Sunday, because you had the Boudreaux dismissal and the talk at arrival at the same time, and you had Rutherford talking and apologizing, and you had Patrick Alvin talking for the most that he's ever talked. There was... A very sort of subtle and quiet acknowledgement that there might not be this great on ice product anytime soon. Like Tockett said himself, there could be a real learning curve here. They, they yeah. are they the Canucks are, have not looked good when they've been trying to learn. Remember when Travis Green brought in a lot of like new points at training camp? They were a disaster to start the season. The same with Boudreaux. The reason I think they got a Boudreaux bump was psychological. Well, the other reason they got a Boudreaux bump is because Boudreaux played the wheels off his top guys. He also everywhere. let them play. Like yeah. there wasn't a lot of. There wasn't a lot of, okay, where am I supposed to be here? We're supposed to be more predictable. I think I should know this. With Boudreaux, it was like, just go out and play. Right. Like, g- trust that you're a good hockey player he, and use your instincts to go play. And that's, I think, why they got the bump. Plus, they had Demko playing out of his mind. So, Demko, here's a, here's something to monitor, that's the too. Key, though. That's here's the something key. to monitor. Andy, if you really want to see your stealth tank to come to fruition and you want this management and ownership group to be behind it, see how they handle Demko. See how much, because he, He's obviously inching closer and closer towards a return. Like to the Bedard chasers, I don't think you got to worry too much unless Demko starts playing like he did last year. It, this team is still going to oh, I'm talking have about, a hard time winning games. I'm talking about how much longer they'll hold him out for. Oh, fair. Yeah. Like, I don't, fair. if there's, if they, I mean, I'm sure he wants to play. I'm sure he wants to get back in and battle and get back into being an NHL goalie. But if I'm the team, yeah. I am 100% using the, hey, we're taking every cautious yeah, approach. Rutherford's like, ah, you're good. Just, just chill. Yeah. Take totally. Just a little Take bit more easy. rehab. It's we all good. Don't worry about and it. And you can put it under the pretense of, we don't want him to re-aggravate this. We want to be a super cautious. That, to me, is the big one. The other one is, Rick Tockett is not going to play Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, and JT Miller 24 to 25 minutes a night to try and grind out a victory over Chicago on a Tuesday night because he doesn't need to. He's got a three-year contract. And, and he's he doesn't being, want to. And he's being tasked with, one, teaching the guys a new system, and two, finding out what your bottom six guys have if they were to get more elevated roles. All these reclamation projects that we've brought in and we're probably going to bring in based on mm-hmm. what Rutherford said, we need to see if these guys are actually reclamation projects. So if you're in a... 2-2 game in the third period with a team that's 26th in the NHL, you don't need to go out and win that game. Play some guys in those moments, see how they thrive. If they score a game-winning goal, great. If Studnik is able to rack up a couple shifts at the end of a game in a game that matters, it's tight, cool. We get to see what he's like in those situations, right? So what you're saying is Rutherford might be secretly trying to tank without actually it's not, saying it? No, it's not. Like People, again, <laughs> it's there's so much more subtlety and nuance to it. It's not... 
No one, you can't go and say to the guys in the guys. That's what I'm saying. I don't think you're very good, but there's this Connor Bedard kid that we mm. really like. It does. It there's no work. urgency to win right now. That's what there's I'm no saying. There's no urgency to win. Se- taking, secretly, and, and and rightly, and they're taking advantage of that. But like, Boudreaux let's try was, some stuff. Yeah, but Boudreaux was old school. He's like, my job's to win hockey games. How do I win hockey games? Well, I got some good players. I'm going to play them the most. I'm going to go into the Dunbar Lumber text line. Do we know what Tockett's term is? Yes, Pierre LeBrun reported that. He's got two years left after this one, so he's signing for, I don't know, two and a half years, which is not a lot of term. There are other coaches out there, new coaches, that get more term than two years. He's also not getting paid a ton. Like, he is for me. I'd be happy with it. Yeah. But it's, what, $2.7 million a year? And we're, we're in a new era with coaches where coaches make a lot more than It has kind of come that. back It has come bit. down. Yeah, you're, you're right. But I think it's really interesting, that two-year term, because we all hope the Canucks turn it around, right? We all hope that Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine and Rick Tockett together can pull off the miracle, and in a year or two, the Canucks do come together, and they turn into contenders. I think a lot of people are pessimistic about that and doubtful. Could we be looking at a house cleaning in two years? Like, it's kind of set up for that. We won't go too far into that, but I'll just throw that out there, like, it's only a two-year commitment to Rick Tockett, and there is going to be a lot expected of him. Mm-hmm. I think Wish had a really good point when he joined us. If there is any positives to be had from this, there is now alignment between the management and the coaching staff, and there was not alignment before. In fact, they were mm-hmm. <laughs> openly antagonistic of each other. Now they're all going to be on the same page. They're going to be working together. Rick Tockett's going to have influence on the roster. Jim Rutherford's going to have influence on the head coach, and they're all going to be working together. But that doesn't change the fact that they have a massive challenge ahead of them. Yeah, someone just wrote in that this is similar to what they did with uh, Sullivan in Pittsburgh. Ramon writes, and they did the same in Pittsburgh. Sullivan kept getting two years. That is incorrect, Ramon. Uh, Sullivan came aboard and then he signed a four-year extension, which brought him into the 2022-2023 season, the current one. And now he signed a three-year extension. So he's I mean, he's in for a while. I don't know where you got that information from. But, yeah, they gave him shorter term, but there wasn't a two-year, two-year, two-year kind of thing. Look, Taka comes into this job with a lot to accomplish. No one's going to give him a ton of term, especially when you're paying a bunch of other head coaches. Yeah. I think the most interesting thing on the coaching front is that they have nine of them right now. I really do think that that's important to note. They have four assistant coaches under Tockett. Two from the previous regime, Jason King and Mike Yo, and two coming aboard in Adam Foote and Sergey Gonchar. Do I think it's a coincidence that Foote and Gonchar played thousands of games at the NHL level and won a ton of stuff and were two of the preeminent defensemen of their era? No, <laughs> I don't. I think if you're looking at it, it's a pretty... They're in the lineup tomorrow night. It's a pretty telling tonight, thing, right? right? Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that they are there specifically to work with defensemen. I think that the idea here is we need more tools in the toolbox, more hands on deck, more coaching. If your job is paying attention to details, that means you have to look at the finite things and the nitty-gritty and the individual things. There's a lot for one or two guys to handle. It's a lot easier for eight or nine, right? You yeah. work on individual things. You silo it off. The Sedins work on a particular thing with a particular player. Right? I mean, you talk about the offseason 
Where we had uh, Michael Samuelson on shortly after he mm-hmm. got his job. His job is to work specifically with Canucks prospects based in Sweden. Now, there's only a handful of them, but that's his job. You, well, there's a fairly important one now. It is, yeah. for sure. But it's not like he's got 25 to 30 players yeah. in his portfolio. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks are the opponent tonight. Um, they're in an interesting uh, time of their franchise as well. Could Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane be traded at the deadline? Mark Lazarus from The Athletic is going to join us next. Longtime Chicago Blackhawks beat reporter with a great voice. You'll yes. very much appreciate Mark's voice. We'll talk about the Chicago Blackhawks coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show with Sportsnet 650. on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in the midst of hour two of the program. Mark Lazarus from The Athletic in Chicago is going to join us in just a sec here. Hour two of this show is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Uh, To the phone lines we go. It's the Canucks and Blackhawks tonight to give us the Blackhawks side of things. Mark Lazarus here now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. How are you guys doing? We're good, thanks. I know I read on Twitter that you are now an honorary Vancouverite because you got stuck in the Massey Tunnel yesterday. So congratulations. Good God. You know, I, I drive into Chicago from the suburbs almost every single day, and I don't think I've ever been in traffic as bad as I was last uh, yesterday afternoon. He made what are a, you guys doing there? I don't know. I don't. Greg, you have to deal with the Massey Tunnel. What huh? were you doing south of the Fraser? <laughs> what are you doing, man? I was at a Vancouver Giants practice. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, Mark, we need to get to the task at hand that is previewing the Blackhawks side of things. And I'm not going to lie, uh, we haven't paid an awful lot of attention to your local hockey squadron this year. We've kind of been focused on the raging tire fire that's been the Vancouver. Why? Has something been going on here in Vancouver? I haven't, I haven't, I haven't been paying attention. What's like a thing or two. Sunday was a pretty interesting day. <laughs> you know, a couple things happened here and there. Uh, give us a snapshot of this season so far. I know it's a big question. There's a lot to get into. But it's a season where the Blackhawks were designed not to be good. They haven't been especially good, although they've been kind of good lately. Yeah, everything was going according to plan for a while there. They, they had two eight-game losing streaks. Uh, separated by one win at one point, so that was quite a feat. Um, but over the last, you know, since New Year's, they've been pretty solid. They won six out of seven at one point before losing to the Kings on Sunday night. Um, they've played their way into 30th place, which is not where they want to be. They need to be in 32nd place. Uh, it looked like they had, you know, the, the, a guaranteed top three spot. Now all of a sudden they, brought, they let Columbus and Anaheim and Arizona and San Jose, who knows, maybe Vancouver, back into the mix. So uh, it's interesting to see because, you know, fans are just, they're up and on. They don't know what to do. Like the team all of a sudden is winning and it's horrible. They don't know how to respond to it. It's kind of funny to watch, but that's what happens when you tank. It's just a confusing mix of emotions. Uh, The futures of Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, what are they? That's a really good question. What I've been trying to answer all year. Um, I don't know. And I don't think they know yet. That's the weird thing. This isn't set in stone. This isn't like they're guaranteed to leave. We're all assuming they're done because, why would you want to stick around for this? But at the same time, I mean, 
you know, I entered the season thinking Patrick Kane was looking for an excuse to stay and that Jonathan Taves was on his way out. And then about a month into the season, I started thinking, you know what? I think this is too bad. Patrick Kane doesn't want to be here for something this bad, this much losing. And Jonathan Taves seemed like he was handling it really well. He was still embracing being the captain. He was working with younger players. He seemed to be content with it. So I don't know where they're going to end up. I don't know if you can trade Jonathan Taves. He's playing well this year, but there's still that $10.5 million cap hit. You're going to need a third team to launder that through. Uh, Kane could certainly be traded, but what are you going to really get for him? It's going to be a Claude Giroux situation where he's going to say, you know, I want to go here. Maybe it's the Rangers, and he's, they have all the control. The Blackhawks aren't going to get like some kind of major haul, even for Patrick Kane, who is dealing with a hip injury and is you know, not uh, performing the way he usually does. There's 350 external factors right now into playing into this, and they haven't even told the Blackhawks what they want to do yet. I was looking at the the stats, the the leading scorers, and I noticed that it's not Patrick Kane in terms of points. It's it's Max Domi. Um, number one, what does that say about Chicago's team this year and their struggle to score goals? But also, I guess Max Domi is a pending unrestricted free agent as well. He could get traded. Yeah, I mean, this is the worst five on five team in the league by far. Like they can't score. They've been scoring lately all of a sudden, which is you know skewed the numbers. But just as like as recently as two weeks ago, this was hilariously bad statistically team offensively, especially at five on five. Um, Domi's been really good. He's a good player. He's, he, he really fits that Luke Richardson model where he wants, you know, these tenacious kind of hardworking BD guys who are just constantly on the four check. He's got 14 goals, 18 assists. I mean, 32 points in 45 games. It's pretty modest numbers in the new NHL where everyone's a point the game player. But on this Blackhawks team, he's been really good. He's been their number one center for most of the season. And he was signed to be flipped at the deadline. And he, he and Andreas Athanasiu were, were, were signed over the summer just so they could be flipped at the deadline. But I'm not so sure they're going to do it now. If they, if they can't get a first-round pick for him, and you never know what, what kind of picks you're going to get at the deadline, if they can only get like a third- or a fourth-round pick, I could see them re-signing him. He's been really good in the locker room. Everybody likes him. Coach loves him. Um, he, you know, you, They have to sign somebody next year to get to the salary floor when you're losing $21 million of salary in Kane and Taves probably and the $5 million Duncan Keith recapture penalty. Got to give some money to somebody. And Max Domi's been a really nice fit. He really seems to like it here. He's been uh, in Chicago. He's been really upbeat throughout the season. Um, I could see them re-signing him if they don't get much of a, a, an offer at the trade deadline. So one of the major issues here in Vancouver is that there is not just one major issue here in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to say the Canucks are kind of failing at the big three. And number one is they don't have a good team right now. Number two they have issues with their salary cap and they're going to have to work hard to give themselves some cap flexibility. And number three is that their prospect pool isn't all that good. They've in fact traded away a bunch of first round draft picks in the last few years. We all know Chicago isn't a good team right now, but how much hope is there given the salary cap flexibility that you just mentioned, they're going to have a ton of uh, this off season, but also the fact that they made three first round picks in last year's draft, and I believe they've still got Tampa's first round. Did they get two first round picks? Is that the Brendan Hagel? Uh, that's the Brendan Hagel trade. Yeah. Okay, so that's so they've got two first round draft picks in this year's draft, and maybe the opportunity to add a few more. Right. I mean, they've got right now. They've got two first rounders, two second rounders, and two third rounders next year. They've got two first rounders, two second rounders, two third rounders in twenty twenty four. And like you said, if they trade Kane and get a first round pick, that's three first round picks this year. They had three first-round picks last year. I mean, they went from the worst prospect pool in the league to one of the better ones. Now, it cost them 
young, good players to do it. Alex Debrinkit, Kirby Dock, um, Brandon Hagel. I mean, these are all guys that you're looking to draft. You want an Alex Debrinkit, you want a Brandon Hagel. So there's a trade-off for that. But all of a sudden, there's, there is hope for the future. I mean, Kyle Davidson is doing this right. If you're going to tear it all down, he's getting the picks you need. Now all of a sudden, they've got, you know, Kevin Korchinski's a top prospect. Frank Nazar's a top prospect. Um, you know, they've got uh, some guys. So they're the second-round pick. Ryan Green's having a huge year in, in, in college. Um, they really like what they got. Samuel Savoie is having a really big year. He was a third-round pick last year. You know, you look around, all of a sudden there is hope for the future. I mean, they still need a Connor Bedard, an Adam Vantilli type. Um, so this year is still very important in terms of their draft, uh, draft pick. But the, the cupboard's not empty. For the first time in over a decade, the cupboard's not empty. I mean, Stan Bowman, he went for it every year. When you have a core like they had, that's what you want to be doing, right? You want to keep going for it. Um, but they paid the price. They had absolutely nothing. They had no first-round picks. They had no people they kept. You know, they traded all their, their decent picks. They always traded them, like Tavo Taravainen, Nick Schmaltz, all these guys. They drafted Ryan Hartman over the years. Um, so they, they didn't have any hope. Now there is hope. The team right now is horrible. But there's hope that, that in a few years, you know, there'll be some real talent here. We expect Kevin Korczynski to probably make the team next year, because why not? Um, and he looked fantastic during uh, training camp. Maybe not Kale McCarr, but maybe just like that next level behind him in terms of being able to move the puck and get that offense going. So there is reason for hope, but you know, you look at Detroit, you look at Buffalo, and you see how long these rebuilds really take, and that takes a little bit of the wind out of your sail. It takes a little bit of the hope out of it. I mean, it's really hard to rebuild and to do it well and to do it quickly. You know, when you, you started talking about Max Domi earlier, I did, I did want to ask this. I know we're not really supposed to focus on Max Domi here, but I think it's interesting because you covered him now for half a year. This is a guy that was a former top 15 pick. He once scored 28 goals and 72 points in a single season. He's 27 years old. As you said, he's like, he's a good guy and he's liked in the room. This is his fifth NHL team and he's only 27 years old. Having covered him, could you make, get any answers as to why this is or how it's turned out this way for a guy that can score, is pretty good player, people like, yet he's bounced around a ton over his career? Yeah, he. I don't know why that is exactly, but I can, I can understand why he's a guy who gets moved at the deadline a lot. He's a, he's a guy you want to add for a playoff run. He's got a sure. playoff style of game. So it could just be that he's been on short contracts and is an attractive trade deadline piece. I don't, I don't know what his history is. I don't know what it, you know how, what his behavior was like in other rooms or anything like that. It's been nothing but positive in Chicago. He's great, and he's you know he's great in the room. He's great with the media. Uh, he's very upbeat. The young players love him because he's you know he's got a, he's, this Blackhawks team has is unusually upbeat for a team that's tanking. Like everyone's in here, eyes wide open, and understands the situation. So this isn't some kind of moribund you know, miserable locker room to walk into every day. They're having a good time. They want to win. They're not winning enough, but they're having a good time. And I think Max Domi has a lot to do with it. So I don't know why you wouldn't want Max Domi on your team. How are the Blackhawks doing just in terms of, um, I don't want to call it PR because that's so cynical, but just in terms of uh, refurbishing their reputation and just being a, a better franchise in the wake of the Kyle Beach scandal. That's a huge issue, and it's going to be an issue for years and years to come, you know, much to the uh, chagrin of most of the commenters on my stories in The Athletic. But, um, you know, the, uh, we, me and Scott Powers, we sat down with uh, Danny Wirtz, who's the CEO, and Jamie Faulkner, the, she's the president of uh, business side of things, um, at the one-year anniversary of the General Block Report in October. And, you know, they're doing all the right things. It's a long process, though. I mean, you, it, it, you don't just get back credibility and, and, and trust overnight, right? It takes a long time to, to build a culture where you can actually say, look, we've learned from this. But, you know, they say all the right things. They're doing all the right things. They're bringing in the right people. You know, Sheldon Kennedy has a lot to do with Hawks. 
And Sheldon Kennedy, who is very blunt about these things, says he's really encouraged by what the Blackhawks are doing. So that's great. You want to hear that. And Danny Wirtz said that, you know, the Kyle B situation basically colors literally everything they do now. And that's what you want to hear, right? You don't want them just to do what Rocky Wirtz did almost a year ago and just say, we don't care about this anymore. You want what Danny Wirtz is saying, which is saying that we think about it all the time. And everything we do and every move we make and every decision and every personnel hire, you know, Kyle Beach is in our minds when we do that. And that's all you can do, right? It's going to be years. It might not ever happen. This will be a stain forever with the Blackhawks. And some fans, understandably, justifiably, will never look at them the same. But all you can do as, you know, the organization, there's very few people left from that era, from that 2010 team, from that front office, from the back office. All you can do is try to do the right things now and hope that, you know, you win people over in the long run. Mark, this was great, man. Thanks for taking the time to do it. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight, and we'll do this again later on down the road. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Mark Lazarus from The Athletic in Chicago here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Um, I'm not going to say they're an interesting team because they're really not. They are kind of an afterthought. I not assume. right now, but the potential for them to right. be very active this offseason is there. And also, the trade deadline is there. Um you know the the two things that give a fan base hope when the team isn't very good is salary cap flexibility and the prospect group. And the Blackhawks made three first round mm-hmm. draft picks in wow. last year's draft, and and I and I realize like I've watched the Buffaloes and the Edmontons of the league, and I realize like you can't just pile up draft picks and expect your team to come together. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't work like that. But I think right now the um, the challenge for the Canucks, the management group, and the new head coach Rick Tockett is like they still like they've changed their coach. Yeah, they still don't have salary cap flexibility. Mm-hmm. They still don't have. They're not going to get a massive push from the prospects in the organization. Now we're all looking forward to seeing what Hoaglander and Pod Colson can do when they're eventually called up this off season. But they need so much more. Like. They need more defensemen, obviously, young defensemen to come up and push. Yeah. And, you know, everyone is up in arms about fixing the defense, and rightly so. The defense is an issue, but it's so much easier said than done. When you don't have obvious young players to come in and fill those roles, well, then you say, okay, well, what's up in free agency? First of all, there's not much. Do you want Klingberg? You've been watching Manhattan? You don't want Klingberg. Yeah. Right? And you don't have the cap space right now to get those guys anyway. Well, you want to trade for some young defensemen? How many teams out there are, first of all, giving up that opportunity? It, it's just a very difficult problem, and it's a, it's a very difficult challenge. And when you have cap space and you have young players pushing, it makes it a lot easier. So, uh, unsigned text came in, although I think this might be Diener. He, with regards to the Chicago Blackhawks, he writes, trading young guys like Brandon Hagel, Alex DeBrinkett, and Kirby Doc is weird. It is. Especially the way that Doc has taken off in Montreal this year, you kind of look at Chicago and say, "Well, wait a minute—that's the kind of young player that maybe you need." Yeah. Here's the I thing: I watched him play the other day. He's still not a perfect player. No, but he's got—he's got potential. He's got potential. Yeah, which is mm-hmm. what Chicago's predicated on right now. It's the future, not the present. Yeah. Here's what I'll say: uh, I think all these individual situations—they're uh, not really congruent. I've read on a number of occasions that Tampa Bay came out of its collective boots for Hagel, and that was almost an offer that they couldn't refuse. But that was a terrific trade for Tampa. I sure. Think he, I think he's just been saying, awesome for them. I don't think Chicago ever expected to get the kind of booty bounty in return that they did for no, Brandon Hagel. So, they, so that's on its own. To bring it, 
the kicker was always how much you were going to have to pay him. Yeah. And was it worth it to pay him for his prime years the way the Blackhawks were trending? Chicago made the decision no, and okay. Fair enough. That's a very valid reason to move The Blackhawks have leaned into losing. Yeah. Right? (laughs) And and the advantages that you get when you don't feel the need to win in the immediate present. You get cap space. You get draft picks. I was going to say, the reason that they don't want Hagel and Debrinkit and Doc around is because those guys probably help you win hockey games. <laughs> That's another thing, right? Like, it's a lot easier to be bad when you're playing Sam Lafferty and Taylor Radish and all the players you're going to see tonight. Some guy named Philip Ruse, R-O-O-S, got called up, and he'll probably play tonight. They play Jack Johnson every night. Mm-hmm. Jack Johnson is, I, I don't know, someone had the, the stats card of him, and he's so far. Great singer. Not as good of a defenseman. Yeah, like it's he's so far below replacement level. It actually encourages and is very advantageous to the tank. So I guess it does make sense passing on Kirby Doc now and what he might be giving you in terms mm. of wins and losses and just trying to get to the bottom as quick as possible. But they've got a long way to go. Like I don't think we should just be saying like, oh, they're going to be awesome in a few years. We'll I would see. never say that. Right? Like we'll see. It's the same thing Like when you talk about Toronto. And we talk about them at length, about where how they got to the position that they are today and the way that they uh, created a blueprint for going as low as you can, getting mm. to the bottom, getting Matthews and building your way back up. By far a perfect product. They still have not won a first-round playoff series, and mm-hmm. that group might be blown up before they have a chance to ever do anything. Yeah, Life doesn't always work out like that. Plans don't always work out like that. Well, this assumption that Anaheim is just going to come together like, I, I think it's a good bet. If you're going to ask me, to like, do you think Anaheim will probably come together in the next few years? I say, yeah, probably. I mean, they got they got a lot of talent there. But watch them play right now. They're awful. Yeah, They are, they are a terrible. They're worse defensively than the Canucks, and that's tough to do. Plus, they can't score like the Canucks. So you've got a oh before you get there. Mm-hmm. But I do think in a fan base like Chicago and a fan base like Anaheim, there's more hope for the future than there is in Vancouver. Well, like a guy like Zegris is a great example, right? As he bursts onto the scene and everyone autom- automatically jumps to, we've got the next great superstar. He's going to be an off- offensive dynamo. Mm-hmm. He's going to be this great player. And then sometimes the trajectory doesn't go the way that you want. I mean, look at when Patrick Laine broke into the league. We all wrote the story. He's going to be a perennial 40, 50, He's going to chase Ovi. He's going to be the next Ovechkin, except he's Finnish. Now he's wasting his time in Columbus. Yeah, I mean, he's scoring goals and stuff, but <laughs> it's for a lousy hockey team. Yeah. Well, Brock, ba- Brock Besser is a good example, right? Yeah. We all thought that Brock Besser was going to be a star for a while mm-hmm. in this league. And then the league gets hard, and then life intervenes in these players. Like, that's the – I mean, that's part of the fun of sports, right? We just don't know – how it's how it's going to turn out. What we're left to debate really uh, is the best avenue, the most likely avenue to success. I think everyone who's smart, That's kind of it, who's everyone who's smart recognizes there are no guarantees because guys, only one team wins the Stanley Cup, yeah. and there are thirty-two teams. For thirty-one teams, the season ends in failure. Yep, you either miss the playoffs or you get eliminated. Mm-hmm. For thirty-one teams in the NHL. It's tough. Like, I don't even think Toronto's a good example for, like, hey, you never like you never know if you're going to get a good team. I think Toronto's a good team. They are a good team. They are a good team. They've been a good team for a while, but they've either choked in the playoffs or just come up against a better group in the playoffs, like Tampa Bay. 
they're playing them or Boston, they're playing them. Like they got crazy hard avenue to win that first playoff round. Now, having said that, they choked against Montreal. They lost to Columbus one year. So um, it is really just about debating the most likely avenue to success. Uh, lots more to come on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Thomas Drance is going to join us on the other side to kick off the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, we'll do a little bit of housekeeping here. I will remind you that we are giving away a pair of tickets to see the Blackhawks and Canucks tonight, 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena. We are going to give away those tickets the same way we always do. It's through what we learn. So what you have to do is text to the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Hashtag it WWL. Tell us what you learned over the last 24 hours in sports. To get into the grand prize draw, you must include a ticket emoji. Do not write the words ticket emoji. It's not the same thing. This is a visual representation of a ticket. Okay? Do that. We'll enter you into the grand prize draw. You can go see a hockey game tonight. You can go see Sam Lafferty play hockey. That's exciting. Oh, yes, it's also Rick Tockett's debut behind the bench as the new head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, speaking of what we learn, we will do ours and we'll read some of the listener ones in the back half of the 8 o'clock hour. So, again, to set it up, Thomas Drance is up next, followed by what we learn and the ticket giveaway. That means it's a big final hour, so don't go anywhere. It's the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.